Amen. Words straight from the psalmist. Amen. From the book of Psalms. Good to see each one. They have your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to begin a series on the entire book of Nehemiah this morning. I'm not sure how long it's going to last, but it'll probably last, I don't know, eight or ten weeks, however long it takes us to get through. I want to talk to you about rebuilding walls. And we're, we're going to talk about walls in, in families. We're going to talk about walls in churches. We're going to talk about walls in relationships, friendships, just all type of walls. Because as I look around at our nation today, I see walls of all kind broken down, whether it's in the family, whether it's in churches, whether it's in businesses or whatever. So today we want to talk about finding your place. Look here. God did not save you just so you could just Come to church when you felt like it, okay? When it was convenient for you. God saved you because when he saved you, he gave you one or more spiritual gifts. And his desire is that you use those spiritual gifts within the church, not just be an attender, but be a minister in the church that God has placed you in. Let's begin with verse 1. We'll look at verse 1 through 4 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah the son of Hachala. And it came to pass in the month of Shislu, in the twelfth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanai, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem, he said, is broken down. The gates thereof, they've been burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and I wept and I mourned for several days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Look, numerous articles, in both uh, Christian and secular studies, you know, point out a very disturbing trend to me. In just one of them, well-known uh, pollster, George Gallup Jr., he concluded this. Fewer, now look at this. Don't miss this. Fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians. Now, he didn't say are Christians. 10% are Christians. 10% are deeply committed Christians. Folks, as I look at that, that's very disturbing to me. As a pastor, you know, it's very disturbing because what that is telling me is that fewer than 10% of the people of Fairview Baptist Church are committed Christians. And I'm going to go further and take it a step further. If they were committed Christians, they would not forsake the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. You see, our churches would be full if more than 10% of the people that call themselves Christians, that say they are a believer, if they were not only attenders in church but ministers within the church, we would see a big difference in this nation that we live. Look here. What most is disturbing about this statistic is that far fewer than 10% of Americans claim to follow Christ, or far more, should I say, claim to follow Christ when they was asked about their faith. In other words, more than 10%, way more than 10% claim to be Christian, but this study showed that fewer than 10% are committed Christian. Think about that for a moment. 
If fewer than 10% of Americans are deeply committed Christians, yet more than 10% claim to follow Christ, there's a big problem there. A big problem there. Look, you know, uh, Christ, again, did not save us, folks. He did not die upon the cross of Mount Calvary just so that we could go to heaven. He died on Mount Calvary. He shed His precious blood for our sins in order that we would carry out His message. In order that we would, would share the gospel with others. And we're not going to do that if we're not deeply committed Christians. And folks, that should be our desire. What that means is most believers who claim to follow Christ are not deeply uh, you know, committed to Him. Rather, they follow Him out of convenience, not out of commitment. Now ask yourself that. Are you following Christ out of convenience? And what that means is if it's convenient for you to go to church, you'll go to church. If it's convenient for you to be involved in ministry, you'll be involved in ministry. And let me just bring that a little closer to home. When you come in this morning, you notice things a little different, didn't you? This means yes, this means low. This means I don't even know what you're talking about. I didn't see nothing different. Okay, but you did. We had those workers come up yesterday and prepare for vacation Bible school that begins Wednesday night. We have been scraping and scratching and all trying to get workers for vacation Bible school. Now we got, did, 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 did you volunteer to do crafts this morning? After Debbie put her foot on your neck and all that, you know. Okay, Karen's going to help out in crafts. It wasn't that bad. Okay, but you know, the, the lady who normally does, uh, you know, Glenda is, pretty sick right now with a heart problem so she wasn't going to be able to do it even though she was up here yesterday decorating out in the other building but you know what a church not just this church but no church should have to beg people to come minister to our children especially you see deeply committed christians are always ready to say here am i use me here am i use me Folks, our churches have far too few committed Christians within it. Don't serve the Lord out of convenience when it's convenient. Serve Him because you're committed to Him. You're committed to Him. You know, maybe that's what Jesus was making reference to in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. When He told His disciples, He said, Guys, in that day, and he's talking about the day of the great white throne judgment when all the lost are going to stand before him while the books are open. He said, guys, in that day, many are going to stand before me and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not proclaim your name? Lord, didn't we cast out devils in your name? Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? And I think the saddest pa passage within the Bible is when Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Yeah. Well, Lord, I, I mean, I worked in the church. Yeah, but I never knew you. Lord, I, I, I shared your gospel sometimes with people, but I never knew you. You know what he's saying? They never was committed to him. They never was truly saved. They thought just being a member of the church was going to get them there. They thought attending church now and then was going to get them there. They thought going through the baptismal waters was going to get
get him there. But he says to them, I, I, I didn't know you. And to, and, and to prove that, he, he, he breaks open the book of life. The book of life contains the names of every person who has ever accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And he's going to open the other books first and say, well, yeah, I see you did this, 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 and this. He said, but here's the book that matters. He opens the book of life. He says, your name is not written in the book of life. Do you serve the Lord because you're committed to him or out of convenience? Look, just like the walls of Jerusalem were in ruin, I fully believe that committed Christianity in today's America is in ruin. Let me say that again. Committed Christianity in America today is in ruin. The, that lack of commitment on the part of those who dare call themselves Christian is the reason that it's difficult today to tell a believer from a non-believer. And those studies go on to reveal how people who claim to be in, uh, believe in Jesus are just as likely to engage in unethical behavior and fall prey to the latest religious uh, fads and the reason is, is because they're not deeply committed to their faith. They claim to know Christ as Savior, and they may be saved. They may well be saved. But folks, they lack true commitment to Christ that should direct their life. Look, I want each of us, as we go through this series, to examine ourselves individually and our commitment to Christ I want us to examine our commitment to the church. I want us to examine our commitment to our ministry and judge whether or not we are truly committed to Christ or if what we're doing, we're only doing out of convenience for Him. Do you fall into that 10% is the question I want you to consider as we go through this series. Look, looking at Nehemiah, it's easy to see that he had a deep, vibrant relationship with God. You know, and that relationship was founded on prayer. In fact, here in the book of Nehemiah, it opens up as we see Nehemiah petitioning God for days and days because his heart was troubled over his homeland. What does the Bible say? As soon as I heard these words, what words? That Jerusalem was in ruin, that the walls were down. He said, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and I continued praying before the God of heaven. Listen, when was the last time you were so concerned about your ministry that you wept before the Lord? Lord, my ministry is not what it should be. What do I need to do? What do I need to change? What, what, what is going on? When was the last time that, that you sat and you wept before the Lord because of your family? When was the last time you sat and you wept before the Lord, you know, because of, of maybe a friendship that has just been dissolved and you don't understand why? When was the last time you sat and you wept before the Lord and God help us Baptists even fasted? <laughs> yep, some of us should use some fasting, couldn't we? Don't, don't answer that. Don't need no amens on that one. 
But when was the last time you was burdened for something that you knew was in ruin and you went before the Lord serious about it? As we study the book of Nehemiah, you know, what we will see is that prayer made all the difference in Nehemiah's life and the effort that he took upon himself. Look, without prayer, don't miss this, without prayer, you will never stand apart from the world. If you're not steady in prayer, constantly in prayer before the Lord, you're never going to stand out before the world. You will remain that fewer than 10% of Americans who are deeply committed Christians. Just think about it yourself. When was the last time that you truly went before God in prayer? I'm not talking about now, lay me down to sleep or look out, you know, uh, you know now, uh, or what's the word, I mean, what's that prayer people pray before they eat? Yeah. Over the lips, through the gums, look out, stomach, here it comes. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when was the last time that you were so burdened over something in your life that you did as Nehemiah here. You know, you sat down, you wept, you mourned for days, and you fasted and you prayed until you heard from God. When was the last time? Can I tell you something? Very few Christians do that and we wonder why our life is in ruin we wonder why our nation is in ruin folks we got to get serious with God in our prayer life if you want to grow in your walk with God if you want to become a deeply committed believer then you need to constantly be in communication with the Lord Look, what, what we see had taken place is that the forefathers of Saddam Hussein, you know, the Babylonians, they had sacked the holy city, Jerusalem. They destroyed it. They had carried the children of Israel into seven, uh, 70 years of captivity. You know, the walls were shattered. The gates were burned. And after years of captivity, you know, God allowed a remnant of Jews to travel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and to reinstate worship. But the walls were still down. The walls were still down. Look, what we see here is how one man with a burden was able to make a difference in a seemingly impossible situation. And over the next several weeks, we're going to see what happened when just one person got a burden for the wall of Jerusalem and then made himself available. That's the key. You know, sometimes it's easy to get that burden, but do we make ourselves available? Or do we say, God, I hope you send somebody to do this. God, I hope you find someone to do this. When was the last time you said, God, here am I? Send me. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Folks, that's what deeply committed Christians do. That's what you do. Look, we need to understand just why these walls were broken down. And, 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 and why it seemed to touch the heart of Nehemiah. I mean, who cares that some old broken down walls, you know, are down as long as the worship had been restored? That's what some people would think. Look, what was so important about those walls? What brought that burden upon him? Look, walls around the city, folks, were there for the protection. With the walls gone, even though worship was restored, the people were defenseless and vulnerable, you know, yet no one seemed to care. 
No one seemed to care. One thing we must understand, folks, is rebuildings that can sometimes be more difficult and more you know, uh, uh, time-consuming than building from the bill, uh, beginning. Look, broken marriages are easy to walk away from rather than try to stay and rebuild that marriage. That can be tough. Hurt feelings are easier to ignore than to work them out with someone. Look, when, when a church is broken, it's easy for people to just walk away and say, well, there's nothing there for me. There's nothing there for my kids. I'm going to go somewhere where there is something for me. What happened to the committed Christians that says, yes, there's a problem here. I'm going to stay here and God's going to, I'm going to uh, let God use me to restore this ministry. But you know what? It's easier to walk away and find another place. It's easier to just walk away and say, well, I'm going to go here and I'm just going to sit here and let them take care of my kids. <laughs> God help us, folks. God help us. Look. Committed people with a burden and a concern, they're going to stand and say, we will rebuild broken down walls. Walls of marriage can be rebuilt. Walls of friendships can be rebuilt. Walls of business partners can be rebuilt. Even walls of churches can be rebuilt. But it takes people with a willingness and a commitment and courage and compassion and consistency for that to happen. Are you one of those type of people? Or are you one that just wants to take the easy way out and boogie from a marriage? Take the easy way out and boogie from, you know, a church. Take the easy way out and just leave from a, a friendship and walk away from it. Look, I believe that we can see three principles regarding the building of the wall. Let's take a look at that. First of all, expose the problem. You know, it's easy to just say, well, there's no problem here. That, that's the easy way out. Well, there's really no problem. Yes, there is a problem. And we have to face that problem if there's ever any hope of resolving that problem does that make sense look people who want to make a difference they first see the problem they face up to the problem then they make themselves available to help resolve the problem think about this nehemiah was over a thousand miles away and he had a gravy job being the cupbearer for the king he had a gravy job you know he didn't i mean he he had it made folks and he was a 1,000 miles from there. You know, things were going great for him. And it would have been easy for him to say, man, that's a 1,000 miles away. That's no concern of mine. So often, far too many want to stay in their comfort zone. We're unwilling to ask, what are the needs? You see, the biggest problem in rebuilding walls, folks, of any kind is the attitude of those who would say, who cares? Who cares? Look, before walls can be restored, people must acknowledge that there's a problem. You know, that, and then have concern for that problem. And then be willing to commit to helping resolve that problem. And folks, if those three things aren't there, the problem will never be resolved. 
The sad thing in this instance was the unbelievers who walked walked by every day, they saw those burned out gates. They saw those broken down walls. And you know what they did? They mocked the people of God. You see, when Christian marriages break down, people mock God. When Christian families break down, people mock God. When churches fall apart, people mock God. Why? Because they say, this is your God, and this is what happens? They say, who is your God? Where is your God? What kind of God do you serve? Look, folks, when the world sees a breakdown within Christian families, when the world sees a breakdown within Christian friendships, within our churches, they mock God the same way. You know why? Because we're representatives of God. We're a reflection of God. And they say, well, if that's what your God is, I want no part of your God. Why do you think America is in the shape it's in today? Because fewer than 10% of those who dare call themselves Christians are committed. And the world is looking at those fewer than 10%, and they're making a decision about what our God is really like. God help us, folks. God help us. They look and they say, well, why come to your God? Can can, can Jesus really make a difference in my way of life? What happens when my husband walks out? What happens when my kids rebel? What happens when I can't pay my bill? Am I supposed to depend upon this God that's not even taking care of you? Look, when there are broken down walls, folks, the world knows it and knows that we have no protection and that is a reflection on our God. And what bothered Nehemiah the most was that the name of his God was being disgraced. Yeah, he was a thousand miles away. But he knew the name of his God was being disgraced. Does it matter to you as a Christian when people mock your God? Does it matter to you? Look, Nehemiah exposed the problem as these broken down walls had broken his heart. The next thing is to accept responsibility. You see, what we see is that Nehemiah, though a thousand miles away, he accepted responsibility. You say, well, why did he accept responsibility when he was a thousand miles away? And then he was willing to do something about it. Look, many are quick to recognize the problems and are not ashamed to point out all the problems, but they're slow to do something about it. Isn't it the easiest thing to do to say, well, that's not, that's not right, that's not right, that's wrong, you know, this should be done a different way? That's easy to do. But where are the people that would say, I'll take care of that. I will handle that. I will restore that. I will put my all into that. It's easy to sit back and say this or that is wrong, but never be willing to put forth the effort to help solve it. Again, look at the words of Nehemiah in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down, I wept, and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting before the God of heaven. Look, I can't stress the fact enough how Nehemiah had security. He had authority where he was, and he could have merely just stayed out of it. But the Lord placed that burden upon his heart. And as a result of that burden, he chose to take responsibility. The next thing is to seek the God of heaven. You see, once the problem is seen and the responsibility is taken, then people must seek the God of heaven. 
and how he would have them to personally resolve the need. Look, the easiest thing for people to do is say, well, I'll pray about it. And y'all have heard me say time and time again, if I go to someone and say, hey, we need help in this area, and they say, let me pray about it, my words to them is, then I'll find someone else. Because if you have to say, let me pray about it, you're telling me no. Okay? You're telling me no. After 38 years of ministry, that's what I have found out. You're actually saying, no, I would rather you find somebody else. You see, the easiest way out is for a person to say, you know, I'll pray about it, but I'm not really willing to help. Look, here's what we must understand. Prayer is no substitute for work. Don't miss this. Prayer is no substitute for work. Rather, it's preparation for work. You say, yes, I'll do that, and then you go to God in prayer to prepare. That's how it works. You know, why should we have to pray about something that God has already commanded in his word? Prayer is no substitute for what we're supposed to be doing. Prayer is, once we commit to it, then we begin to prepare for that work. We pray in order to seek God as to what we're to do, not if we should do, because the should do has already been decided because God has already placed that burden within us. Now, the next thing is Nehemiah's prayer contained five elements, five elements that I want us to look at here as we wind down. You know, as you look at the prayer of Nehemiah in verses 5 through 11, there's five things you see that are a must when we go before God in preparation for the work that he's called us to do. And you can see Nehemiah offered all five of these. First of all, praise. When was the last time you just went to God and praised him? You know, you know what most people do, especially those who fall in that less than 10% category? They always go to God with petitions. Here's what I want, here's what I need, here's what I would like you to give me. When was the last time you just went and said, Lord, I praise you, I love you, and then thanksgiving. Thank him for what you already have. Thank, you, thank him for what you, he's done blessed you with. And then repentance. We're repentance. That's what we see Nehemiah done. And then your specific requests should come. And then commitment to whatever it is. Look, these five things are a must in prayer, you know, when we're seeking to rebuild walls. And if we want to be successful, if we want to make ourselves available, you know, if we want to make a difference, we must make that commitment. Look, there are walls that get broken down around us every day. Every day, there's walls that get broken down around us. Whether it's walls of the family, whether it's walls of friendship, whether it's walls within a church. But people must understand, folks, they can be rebuilt. I don't care how far gone it seems, it can be rebuilt. But it first takes us having that burden and then saying to the Lord, whatever it takes, I'm going to commit to rebuilding this wall. It takes someone willing to, to expose the problem, then take responsibility, and then seek God concerning it. Are there walls in your life that have been broken down and need rebuilt this morning? I want you to just ask yourself that question. In fact, I'll bring it down a little bit more. What walls in your life have been broken down 
that need repaired this morning. And you know what? Some of you have already come up with some walls in your mind. This wall needs repaired. This wall needs repaired. Now my question is, what are you going to do about it? You see, if the Holy Spirit done brought it to your mind, the wall that needs repaired, then he's expecting you to do something about it now. Or he had never brought it to your attention. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about that broken down wall in your life? Even though a rebuilding process may seem difficult, it may, be, it may seem like it's not possible, folks, with God, all things are possible. And let me leave you with this thought. If those walls, if those broken walls are going to be rebuilt, you must be willing to be the one to step up and say to God, here am I, send me. Now the question is, are you willing to be that one? Are you willing to be that one? Or are you content with people walking by looking at the broken walls in your family, looking at the broken walls in your marriage, looking at the broken walls in your friendships, looking at the broken walls in your church and mocking your God saying, if that's what the God of this person, you know, is like, I want no part of it. Are you willing to be the one in that relationship that will step up and say to God, God, I am willing to do whatever it takes to restore, to rebuild this broken wall. What about it? Now, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, can, can I tell you something? You are broken. You yourself are a broken wall. No one that you know can rebuild that wall. Only Jesus Christ. And he's willing this morning to bring you to life. He's willing this morning to give you a new life if you'll only accept his sacrifice on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Would you do that this morning? We're going to have a song of invitation here in just a moment. And when we do, I'm going to ask that you just come, come forward here. Let us get you with a counselor. Let them share more about what it means to be saved, how to be saved, and let Jesus Christ put your life together. Would you do that? Child of God, if you know some broken walls in your life, why not commit to God to be used of him to bring them back together? Let's pray. Oh, I